0: All right. Good morning. Good morning, Flatirons. Um, you should go to that concert. I don't know about you, but I know it's unique taste, but I, I kind of like the idea of a Meow Wolf campus for Flatirons. Um, I've been, I've been there twice. I love it and I don't even do shrooms. So it's (laughs) it's a cool place. Um, Hey, I'm Ben. Welcome to week three of our series, Word to the Wise. Um, this is a series where we're taking a look at the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. If you're unfamiliar, the book of Proverbs is exactly what it sounds like. It is a book of wisdom Proverbs, all right? So short little sayings of truth, wisdom, and advice that were, that were compiled and collected, and some of them written by an ancient king of Israel, King Solomon, Right, the book of Proverbs reads like kind of like poetic, fatherly advice and for the most part the book of Proverbs works well in isolation. And what I mean by that is you can kind of get away with something that I would never in a million years recommend that you do with any other part of the Bible, which is With Proverbs, you can kind of just flip to a random page and close your eyes and put your finger down on the verse, and you'll read something that will make sense, it will be packed with wisdom, and it'll be good to read. What I I mean is most, not all of them, but most of the Proverbs, they don't need too much context, they're easy to understand, and almost every verse is like a one-liner that can stand on its own and hold its own. Okay, for example, you might close your eyes and just go, boom, and then point at my favorite proverb, which is chapter 27, verse six, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You don't need any historical context. You don't need cultural context. You don't even need to know what came right before or right after this verse, which in case you didn't know, that is the cardinal rule of studying your Bible. You don't really need to do that in Proverbs. Instead, it just, it makes sense on its own and is packed with wisdom right? Wounds from a friend can be trusted. So that means if, if you've got a friend and you know that they love you, but then they deliver some painful advice or critique, even though it hurts, the wise person listens to it and trusts it. And then it says that an enemy multiplies kisses. So the person that you actually need to keep an eye on and actually need to be careful around is the person who won't stop blowing smoke up your skirt, right? It just, it makes sense on its own and is packed with wisdom. That's how most of the Proverbs are. Okay, not all of them. There are gonna be a few where you want some context. My favorite and I think funniest example of that is Proverbs 21, nine. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. I didn't say it, I read it <laughs> from the Bible. <laughs> uh, out of context, I don't know, it just sounds rude, right? And then if there are any husbands who are immediately like, amen, brother, then go get your sleeping bag <laughs> and dust off the corner of your roof for tonight. You're not sleeping in your bed. Um you get it, there are, there are some strange Proverbs out there where you're gonna want context, but for the most part, each verse stands on its own, holds its own, and makes sense on its own. Okay, but even though Proverbs works pretty good in isolation, in little snippets, we, we still should pay attention to any themes that are reoccurring in the book of Proverbs. Okay? So if something comes up once and only once, like sleeping on the corner of your roof, that's one thing. If something comes up over and over and over and over again, then that is a theme that we would be wise to pay attention to. And today, I want to talk to you about one of the biggest, if not the biggest theme in the book of Proverbs. It's all about one specific thing. It is this thing that has the power to start wars and it has the power to end wars. And it is this thing that has the power to save a life or the power to take a life. This thing has the power to influence entire cities and nations or also brainwash them. And with good intention, this thing can build up and inspire and change the course of history. And with malicious intention, this thing can demolish and destroy and ruin history. Personally, I believe that this thing is the single most most powerful human ability, even though we all take it for granted. And this thing is the power of words. Approximately 375 verses in the book of Proverbs, so that's about one third of the book of Proverbs, is devoted to the topic of our words and our speech and the way we communicate with each other. Obviously, this is something we're supposed to be paying attention to, all right. The one book of the Bible that's completely devoted to wisdom, one third of that book is completely devoted to the way that you and I talk. Proverbs says that our words are powerful. But we take our words for granted all, all of the time. Like I I don't really think that most of us truly believe that our words are incredibly powerful human forces. Why? Well, I think it's because half the time our words are pretty mundane and unimportant, right? They're just, they're getting the job done and they're just getting us through the day, right? So when you ask like, hey, do we have any more toilet paper? It's not gonna change the course of history, right? It's just business. You're just trying to finish the job that you started, Um, (laughs) <laughs> or when you, when you text your girlfriends and you're like, LOL, TTYL, Bay or whatever any of those things mean. Like when you text that, no one's going to carve that into stone and recite it at the queen's eulogy or whatever. You're just trying to tell people that you had a good time at brunch. We take our words for granted because half the time they truly are pretty meaningless. No one's going to remember them. But at other times, our words can be the most powerful tool at our disposal, And this idea is pretty universally understood, right? Children understand the power of words, right? They're not afraid to admit that words can hurt. They'll come home from school and they'll cry in your arms because someone called them ugly or someone called them stupid. Or my my youngest daughter, Chloe, she's five. She'll go dress herself, which is always unfortunate. It's like a strange combination of like leggings and skirt and cowboy boots and backwards hat or whatever. And she'll come out and she'll go, Daddy, do I look beautiful? Why? Well, because it's not powerful enough for me to just be thinking it. She needs to hear me say it. Kids even understand the technical aspect of why certain words feel powerful. For example, my oldest daughter, Emery, she's nine. Uh, she learned her first few cuss words at school a couple weeks ago. So she came home, she told me and Allie, And the three of us later that night, we sat, we talked about it. I won't tell you exactly what words she learned because we've got little kids in here, but they're like, they're, I mean, they're in the top three of the rankings of cuss words, right? And so we're sitting, we're talking about it. I make sure to say the words multiple times to hopefully take away the mystery and the mystique. And I just explained that they're, they're nasty, rude words and I don't want her to say them. I was honest with her. I told her, dad has a really bad habit after years of not caring how he spoke. You might even hear dad make a mistake and say one of those words when I stub my toe or whatever. And we're having this great conversation about it, but the whole time Emery's like squirming in her bed and she keeps starting to interrupt and then she stops herself and she just looks really unsettled. And so I'm like, eventually I'm like, Em, like what's, what's going on with you? And she goes, yeah, it's just, and she said it exactly like this. She goes, I won't say them. I won't say those words, but why do all these bad words sound so fun to say? And she said it, <laughs> she said it just like that. And let's be honest. She's right. You know there's there's just noises in those words that are fun to say. Like there are certain words that could never be cuss words, like rural that's not gonna, that word doesn't pack the right punch. And so she says that, and I'm cracking up. And I tell her, like, M, honestly, they're like a, just a blast to say, but they're incredibly rude, and we're not gonna say them. And so I tell her, you need to find a different fun word to say whenever you stub your toe. And without missing a beat, she goes, I know what I'm gonna say. And I was like, What are you gonna say? And she goes, I'm gonna say, and she yelled it, she goes, I'm gonna say, thick it. Yeah, as in a dense group of bushes or trees, thicket. (laughs) So ever since then, the word thicket has become a replacement cuss word in the foot household. And Emery was right. It's fun to say, thicket. It's got the right noise. It's got the (laughs) c To replace the one word she learned at school. (laughs) Kids understand the power of words. Our society is built on the power of of words, right? Like, think about it. There are works of literature that have been in print for thousands of years. They'll stay in print thousands of years from now. Or a business proposal. It is not binding until it's contractual, until it is put into words. In a courtroom, someone is declared innocent or guilty, and only after declaring or speaking the verdict does it become true. At a crime scene or at an intensive care unit, one is pronounced dead, right? And until death is pronounced or spoken, you're going to do everything possible to save that person's life. It's not over. It's not final until it is spoken. Weddings are ceremonies built on the power of words, on the power of oaths. The most important part of the ceremony is where you stare your spouse in the eye and you say, I do, I promise Right? Why have I been married to Allie, my wife, for 14 years? And why will I stay married to her until one of us dies? It's not because we're in love. We are. It's helpful. Right? It's, it's, also, it's also not because uh, every day is bliss. It's not. It's also not dependent on both of us staying happy and healthy and beautiful and successful. Instead, above all, the reason that I will stay faithfully married to Allie is because of my word. I promised her. I, I said an oath in front of my friends and my family and God, I promised her I wouldn't go anywhere. And so I won't. Words can be very, very powerful things. And then on top of all of this, God takes the ideas of, of words very seriously, right? Christians believe that the Bible is God's word to us. We believe that this is the primary way he chose to speak to us. If you go read it, in the beginning, you learn that when God created everything, he he didn't go get his hands dirty, and he didn't go sweat and labor, and he didn't get a magnifying glass and a soldering iron or whatever and go create the world. Instead, he spoke everything into existence. All throughout history, God has established covenants with his people, spoken promises. So right now, you and I are under a covenant, a spoken promise from God that you and I can have a relationship with him because of what Jesus accomplished for us through his death and resurrection. And we're told that God will never change his mind about that, why? Because he promised, he made a covenant and he will stay true to his word. Words are powerful things. Our kids sense it, our our society's built on it. God designed it that way and the book of Proverbs teaches it. One of the biggest themes in the book of Proverbs is if you want to be a man or woman of wisdom, then you will show discernment in the way that you wield the power of words. So let's dig into what the book of Proverbs has to say about the power of words. Um, A warning, if you brought your Bible today, that's great, keep bringing your Bible. On a typical week, we kind of stay in one part of the Bible, we mark it up and all that stuff. Today, because of the way Proverbs is designed, we're gonna jump all around. You might get lost. I'd encourage you to just read the verses on the screens. But if you are dying to do something and you're like, dude, I brought this 50-pound thing in here for a reason, I'll (laughs) mark it up. Um, Mark this one up, Proverbs 12, 18 It is basically the thesis, it's the general overall statement about the power of words that the rest of Proverbs expands on, Proverbs 12, 18, and it goes like this. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You'll notice right away that that statement goes against the sing-song false wisdom that you and I and all of us grew up with. Right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Proverbs goes, nope, words hurt. Words are like sword wounds. Proverbs says, words can give you the kind of wounds that the only way to heal them are by other wiser healing words. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And regardless of the thousands of times that you've told yourself growing up and into adulthood that sticks and stones may break my bones and words will never hurt me, we know that this proverb is telling the truth. We just know from personal experience. Reckless words pierce like a sword. All of us have been pierced. Most of us, I even think all of us, like, we're carrying around wounds from things that were said to us when we were children and we're adults now. What are some of the, I want you thinking of it, what are some of the words that wounded you when you were growing up? I'll go first. We'll start with an easy one. I, I was told by a pastor when I was in the eighth grade that, quote, I will never grow to be a man if I don't play football. This was in Texas, so <laughs> <laughs> football is legitimately God out there, but That's what I was told. Still to this day, I'm coming up on 38 years old. I I love sports. I am a diehard baseball junkie. Like I'm a junkie. I'm unfortunately a Cleveland fan, but I, I score every Cleveland Guardians game in a scorebook using the magical, wonderful baseball code. Like it's an issue, pray for me. But I love baseball. I love sports. Still to this day, I have trouble watching football. It's like it's the sport that in middle school and high school I rebelled against. So I was like, I can be a man without that thing. I still, it's still weird to watch football to this day. That one's silly. What about this one? As a kid, I was told so many times by so many people that I was weak, that still to this day, I carry that fear with me everywhere. On a bad day, I'm wondering, am, am I just like a weak dad or a weak husband or a weak leader or a weak man? That's words from when I was, I was a kid. But then words from adulthood, they hurt too. right? I've gotten emails. Jim's gotten these emails. Every pastor in the world has gotten these emails, but I'll get emails from people saying that they won't attend flatirons ever again because they don't like me. They'll <laughs> make it like a personal attack on me. It, 100% of these people, of course, I've never met, I've never spoken with, I've never shook their hand. They just came and sat in the dark one time and they're like, we don't like him, let's go t- tell him. Um, and then I'll, but even though it's ridiculous, I'll read the email and I will carry those words with me for like weeks. I'll feel like guilty and shameful. I'm like, a, the, the number one thing I want to do with my life is help people encounter the real and authentic Jesus. Like, what am I doing wrong? These people will never come back. And even though logically I know, that the person being unlikable in this scenario is not me, (laughs) right? But it's just, even though I know it's dumb, even though I shouldn't carry those words with me, they still hurt. Why? Because reckless words pierce like a sword. They just hurt. How have you been pierced? Maybe mom told you growing up more times than you can count. She looked at you and she goes, you're going to wind up just like your father And so you spent a lifetime, you're trying to prove mom wrong. No, I'm not. I can be different, right? Or maybe you were told you were dumb or ugly, unwanted, unlovable, annoying, irritating, fat, awkward, always in the way. You were told these things. You spent a lifetime trying to prove those people wrong or you spent a lifetime caving under the wounds of those words by just believing them. Reckless words pierce like a sword. They hurt. But then on the other hand, Proverbs tells us that the tongue of the wise brings healing. And we also know that to be true from personal experience. We, we know what it's like to be propped up and encouraged and healed by someone's wise words. Again, I'll go first. About coming up on 10 years ago, um, Allie and I, we had our, our first kid, our daughter, Emery, who can cuss now. Um, <laughs> she's, she's growing up so quickly. Um And so we just had our daughter and I was just in this phase of life where I'm trying to figure out like, how do I be a good dad and how do I be a good husband, even though I have depression and I'm pretty sure that's never, ever going to go away. And so I was trying to figure it out and I'm putting all the work in and I'm showing up and I'm being present. And then one Saturday while Allie and I are making lunch, nothing special, just making PB and J's or whatever. She came up to me and she kind of sidles up and she gives me a big warm hug and she goes, I love you, Ben. And I like put my arm around her. I'm like, I love you too. What was that for? Cause it was out of the blue. And she goes, you just, you seem different. And that I'm telling you, that's all I needed to hear. I just, I needed to hear that the hard work was paying off and I needed someone else to recognize and call out that like, Hey, depression might not ever go away, but like slowly, but surely I can see Jesus helping you carry it. That's all I needed to hear. It was a decade ago. I still think about Ali saying that no joke. Once a week, the tongue of the wise brings healing to a person's life. What are some words that you've been told that have brought healing to your life? Maybe it was the first time dad told you he was proud of you, or or maybe you had that teacher who saw something special and unique in you, and they called it out, and they encouraged you and challenged you to go be great at something, or maybe it was a coach, or a counselor, or a trainer, or a mentor, or a boss, but whoever it was, they said what you needed to hear, when you needed to hear it, and years later, you're still carrying those healing words with you everywhere you go. The tongue of the wise brings healing. So reckless words pierce like a sword and the tongue of the wise brings healing. And of course, the point of this proverb is that you and I are supposed to be aiming for wisdom. We are supposed to bring healing to the world. Like our words are not supposed to pierce like swords. They're supposed to heal the people around us. How do we do that? Well, that's what the other 374 verses about the power of words in Proverbs, that's what they go into detail about. They, they answer the question, what are the characteristics of a wise person's words? And rather than read 374 verses together right now, I did the work, I studied up, um, and I boiled them down to like four characteristics of the words of the wise from the book of Proverbs. So if you want to be wise, you will talk like this. And we're gonna walk through them together. First characteristic is this. The words of the wise are always honest. All right, that one, I think, just makes sense. No one's gonna argue with that. Just go tell the truth. There are countless proverbs about telling the truth. Here are a few. Okay, Proverbs sixteen thirty three: Kings take pleasure in honest lips and they value a man who speaks the truth. Okay, or how about this one? This one's blunt, all right? It says, the Lord detests lying lips. He hates lying lips, but he delight, delights in men who are truthful. This is in line with what Jesus himself said in his famous Sermon on the Mount when he said, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. So if you say you're gonna go do something, go do it. If you say you're gonna stop doing something, stop doing it and always tell the truth. Go be honest. And sure, that means stop lying, but that could also mean this. Like the next time your wife asks you like, hey, you seem off, are you Okay. Just be honest with her, right? If you're worried about something or you had a bad day or you're not doing too well, like don't do what us men typically do, which is like, yeah, I'm fine. And then you crack open another beer and you turn the game up, right? Like part of being honest is being vulnerable with the right people. The words of the wise are always honest. Second characteristic is this. The words of the wise are not just honest, they are also timely. They are well-timed. And they are appropriate for the setting and the circumstances. Proverbs says this, a word aptly or timely spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Okay, Solomon obviously had unique taste in decorating, but you get it. A word aptly spoken is beautiful. How about this one? A man finds joy in giving an apt reply. And how good is a timely word? The words of the wise are timely. This characteristic is all about not just knowing what to say, but knowing when to say it. All right. So again, if your wife asks, are you okay? Be honest with her. On the other hand, if the lady greeting you while you're walking into Walmart is like, good morning, how are you? Now is not the time. (laughs) They go, well, Edith, I'm a wreck. (laughs) No, this is not the time. You know, I got no jobs. We got no food. Our pets are falling off. It's not the time to do it. If you don't know what movie that's from, fix yourself. <laughs> it's just those words aren't timely. All right? You're being vulnerable with the wrong person in the wrong setting. Yeah, not timely. Being timely with your words is all about understanding your circumstances and your setting. Let's start with circumstances, okay? Hypothetical here. Let's say that you have to confront one of your really good friends on something. You gotta go have a confrontation with them, okay? So you invite them out to dinner, you go to dinner, but then when you sit down, they just start you know, word vomiting and they're going through some incredibly hard stuff and they're telling you about it and they're being open and honest and vulnerable and they're looking for your advice and they're looking for your guidance. Now is not the time to be like, well, actually, I've been meaning to pile on, so (laughs) this is not the time. They need you right now. Your circumstances are not timely. You just hold on to those words, and you go, a couple weeks from now, if I'm still upset about this, I'll go talk to them. The setting is also very important. Timely with your setting. I always think about this when I think about Christians uh, with the cardboard signs. Okay, so just, just last weekend, my family and I, we drove up into the mountains to go do some hiking because it's like finally beautiful again. And we're driving up a main highway up into the mountains and standing outside of a church is a dude with a handwritten sign that just read, pray for the unborn babies. Okay, okay, I'm not arguing. That's a, that's a good thing to do, pray for the unborn babies. My, my thing is that those words on that sign are not timely for this man's setting. What do I mean by that? Well, the setting isn't right. Like, He's not able to have a discussion with someone else in the context of a relationship, and he doesn't get a chance to explain why he cares so deeply, why it's important to him, and he doesn't have a chance to listen to someone else's story and experience and opinion because the setting isn't right. The setting is a literal street corner on a busy highway with cars going by. And so from my point of view, the words on those signs, I'm not talking about whether it's a good idea or not. I'm just saying the words in the setting, because of the untimely setting, in my mind, it's like it can only result in one of three outcomes. The first one is that, that people who are on, kind of on his side are gonna drive by and go like, he's so brave. And so it's self-serving. The second outcome is that people who drive by and aren't on his side are just gonna roll their eyes and be all angry, right? The third outcome, which is the worst, is that some poor woman with a history of abortion or miscarriage is gonna have a ton of guilt and shame and sadness heaped on her head from a literal stranger on a street corner. Solomon would say in the book of Proverbs, put the sign down. It's just, it's just the wrong time and the wrong place. Proverbs would say, that's not wisdom and that's not courage, that's foolishness. Why? Because the words of the wise are always honest and also timely. The wise person understands the setting and the circumstances. Let's move on to the third characteristic, which is coming at right, just the right time because some people are maybe angry with me right now. The third characteristic is this. The words of the wise are always honest and timely and calm. The words of the wise are not fueled or powered or motivated by emotions. Instead, the wise person is calm and rational and even-tempered. You know what you're going to get with the wise person. Proverbs says that a hot-tempered man just stirs up dissension, just causes fights. But then a patient man can calm a quarrel. And a man of understanding, a man of wisdom, is even-tempered. Is it wrong to get fired up or angry about something? Nope, not at all, okay? Proverbs just says that it's wrong to act or speak out of that anger. So to, to work through our characteristics, we'll use our example again. You've gotta go confront a friend about something. Gotta go have a confrontation. So you need to tell them some tough truth. That's honesty, okay, check. All right, you go out to dinner with them and the setting and the circumstances are right. So your words are gonna be timely, check, all right? If you go to open your mouth and you're boiling, and your face is all hot and red, and you're shaking and seething with anger, then you need to shut your mouth back up. Just shove a breadstick in there, (laughs) and don't speak, right? Because your words would be honest, and they would be timely, but they would not be calm. And we already know that hot-tempered, overly emotional words are almost never, ever heard, For me, I swear I could up my parenting game by 100% overnight if I could just do a better job of staying calm when I have to reprimand my kids. And then most of the blow up like fights and arguments that Allie and I have had over the course of our marriage, like most of them, they're not even about the thing that we started arguing about. By the end, it's all about our overly emotional responses and reactions. Like we just didn't stay calm with each other the words of the wise are always calm even tempered fourth and last characteristic this one's the most interesting to me because it's the most unique for our culture and also there are tons of proverbs about this characteristic the words of the wise are honest and timely and calm and few proverbs says a man of knowledge of wisdom uses words with restraint a man of understanding is even-tempered. says, even someone who's genuinely a fool, other people think that they're wise if they just keep silent. It's kind of rude. Uh, people who are fools, people think they're discerning if they just hold their tongue. In other words, half the time, if you want to display wisdom, all you got to do is shut up. Another proverb says, when words are many... When someone's ranting and raving, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. There are tons of Proverbs about this characteristic. Uh, This idea that a lot of the time, maybe even most of the time, wisdom displays itself by not speaking. So the... The person over here who's ranting and raving and going on and on and on about their opinions and their beliefs and their worldview and their rage posting on social media, their words are many and Proverbs says that sin is not absent. But then the other person over here who understands the concept of right time and right place and social media is almost always the wrong place and the person who understands that they have to remain calm, they are displaying their hard-earned wisdom by not adding any fuel to the fire. And so wisdom can be exercised by asking yourself some questions. You go, okay, this this thing that I wanna say, is it worth bringing up? Is it important enough to bring up? And if so, is the setting and circumstance right? Like, do I actually think I'll be heard? And do I actually think I'll be able to listen? And if so, do I think I can talk about it calmly? And then if the answer to any of those questions is no, then the wise person shuts up. They don't open their mouth. They don't hit send and they don't post. Why? Because yes, it can be fun to argue. I love arguing. I'd like to think I'm pretty good at it. I win a lot of arguments. It can be fun to argue, all right? Your beliefs and opinions, yes, they are valuable and they should be heard. And then yes, please listen to me right now. You might even be right and people should listen to you and people should change. But if your words whether spoken or posted, if you think that most likely it's just gonna lead to more dissension and arguing and anger where no one's genuinely listening to one another and no one's genuinely open to like changing their minds and no one cares to speak calmly, then the wise person practices the most difficult, in my opinion, spiritual discipline out there. He shuts up. Proverbs teaches that the words of the wise are honest, timely, calm, and few. If I were to like, explain in my own terms the teaching of Proverbs on the power of words, it would go like this. Proverb teaches us the spiritual discipline of knowing when to speak up and when to shut up. And here are a, a, a few examples of how we could try practicing those spiritual disciplines this week. Okay, we'll, we'll start with the spiritual discipline of shutting up. Okay, if you don't believe me on this one, Right? Or if you've fallen into the trap of believing that a, a really big part of Christianity is standing, sticking up for your truth and like making sure you argue it with, with people and, and prove them wrong, you should read the book of Proverbs. You're, like you're going to find the opposite in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs gives us all of these categories of types of speech that Christians are never supposed to engage in. One of these types of speech is anything where you attempt to earn praise for yourself. Okay, so this could be bragging and boasting and being cocky, anything prideful, frankly, virtue signaling. It's like if you're fishing for compliments, Proverbs says, cut the line, stop fishing. The the other category that we're never supposed to engage in is arguing for the sake of arguing. Proverbs says that it's pointless and the wise person does not engage in it. Another category that Proverbs has a lot to say about is gossip, is very blunt about gossip, all right? It basically is like, if you're the kind of person who kind of loves to be like, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Proverbs is honest, it calls you a fool, and it says that God hates the way you're talking. The spiritual discipline of shutting up. This week, maybe some of us need to practice that one, all right, This this is when everyone else is gossiping around the water cooler, you just walk away. Or when your kids do something insane, because they will, and you get furious, go take a lap and cool off before you sit down and talk with them. Or if you catch yourself wanting to either A, rant and rave, or B, flaunt your own sense of self-righteousness on social media, take up the challenge to just not post anything today or this week, I promise the sun will rise tomorrow without hearing your opinion on whether or not it should have, right? Just don't post anything. Why? because he who holds his tongue is wise, and we're trying to learn how to be wise people. On the other hand, some of us need to engage in the spiritual discipline of speaking up. And, but one more time, last time I'll say it, Proverbs teaches that that discipline comes with like very strict and specific guidelines. The words of the wise are honest, timely, calm, and few. And there are many different ways that, that we can speak up in in wise, in, in godly ways, but here's a specific challenge for this week, okay? Because all of us in the room, I don't care who you are, all of us have specific relationships in our lives where we can't afford to remain silent anymore, Okay, we have to do what we read about in the first verse. We have to bring healing into those relationships with our words. And so here's the challenge. What is one relationship that you know you could bring healing to with your words? The challenge is, go talk to that person. That can look a lot of different ways. Maybe that's with your kids. Okay, when is the last time that you sat down with one of them and you told them why they're so special to you? Or when's the last time that you've listed all the things that you love about them? And when is the last time that instead of just going like, love you, as you walk out the door, when's the last time you like sat down and looked in their eyes and go, dude, I love you. Like you say it like you mean it. Maybe some of you need to do that with your spouse. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter who it is. It could be your kids, your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your best friend. There is a biblical term for those kind of words. And the biblical term is blessing. You are giving or receiving a blessing. And according to the Bible, blessings are like some of the most powerful gifts you could ever offer another human being. Don't stay silent. Don't withhold your blessing from the people who are close to you. For some of us, we could bring healing into a relationship by showing some gratitude. Gratitude. Maybe some of us, we should call our parents and just thank them for everything that they've sacrificed for us. Or maybe you need to go tell your spouse thanks for how hard they're working or go thank your boss for being an honest and and fair and good leader. Maybe you could bring healing to a relationship by apologizing. You screwed up and you haven't fessed up. So go apologize, go say you're sorry and just go tell that person, like I I screwed up and I'm so sorry, but I'm, I'm still here with you and I still love you. Or maybe you could bring healing to a relationship by offering forgiveness. Right? Maybe someone else apologized to you. You just haven't left them, let them off the mat yet, right? You keep holding it over their head. Like life is really short. And if you want to keep that relationship, then swallow your pride and offer your forgiveness. Why would we do this? Why would we talk this way? Part of it is is because we want to be wise people, And, and Proverbs says that the tongue of the wise brings healing, but more importantly, and right now I'm just speaking to the Christians, okay? If you're in this room or watching online and you're not sure what you believe yet, you're off the hook right now. You're welcome. You're in the right place. Keep coming back. I was like you when I first came here. This is a really good place to figure it out, and I would encourage you to figure your faith out. It's the most important thing going on in existence, I think, but so for right now, I'm just talking to Christians. Why would we speak this way? Why would we try to speak wisely? The most important reason is we try to live this way and we try to talk this way because we follow Jesus and Jesus lived this way and he talked this way. And so I wanna leave you with this picture right now. I want, the last thing I wanna say is, is this description, one of my favorite descriptions of Jesus in the gospels and it's found in the first chapter of John. And it goes like this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he, the the word, was with God in the beginning. And the word became flesh. So now we know the word is Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, the word full of grace and the word full of truth. John chose, and I love it, to open his biography with this idea that Jesus was the walking, living, breathing word of God in the flesh dwelling with us John did not say that God took his heart and put flesh on it he did not say that God's spirit came and dwelled among us he got specific and he said that God's words became flesh it was his promise that came to dwell with us what does that mean it means that in Jesus we can see God's words in action And it means that on that night, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was born a bawling baby in a manger, it means that every time God promised that he loves you and every time that he promised that he would forgive you and every time he promised you're not too far gone and every time that he wept and mourned because you walked away and every time he rejoiced because you came back, every commandment, every encouragement, every whisper, every shout, every time he said, I love you, the words of God put on flesh and were born into the world for humanity to see. Is beautiful. It was the promise of God that marched into manhood and marched up to the cross and died on it so that he could march out of an empty tomb three days later to give every single one of us a shot at brand new life. In Jesus, God's word, his promise can be seen in the flesh. Why would we practice the spiritual discipline of knowing when to speak up and how to speak up and knowing when to shut up? Why would we do that? Well, it's not just because we understand the power of our words, it's because we understand that we are sons and daughters and representatives of the living God, which means his mission is our mission now. His way is our way. His truth is our truth. His life is our life. It also means that his words must be our words now. We are supposed to be the people that in whom you can see God's word, his promise in the flesh. Our tongues should bring healing because Jesus brought healing. For Christians, for people who follow Jesus, this is why you hear us say things like, I love you. This is why we say things like, I forgive you. This is why we say things like, I'm sorry. And this is why we look at our people and we tell them like, you're not too far gone. And we tell them, I will go with you. Or we tell them, I'll stay and wait back with you. This is why we speak blessings into the lives of people and call out their strength and their beauty and their discernment and all their gifts and abilities. We don't use our words to divide or to win arguments or to shout opinions or to speak highly of ourselves and lowly of others. We use our words to bring healing because we believe that we are God's words in action. We believe that we are the walking, living, breathing word and promise of God in the flesh. And we are not commanded to just live like it, we are commanded to talk like it. God, I thank you for your wisdom and I thank you for the truth and the guidance that we find in the Proverbs about the way that we speak even though it's, it's challenging. Yeah, half the time we're, just, we're not thinking when we speak, we say things, we've hurt people with our wounds, we've, we've hurt people and we'll never know that we did. God, would you help us to be more intentional and pay attention to our words? Would you help us to see ourselves as your word and your promise walking in the flesh? God, would you help other people to see that in us and through our words? God, some of us, were. I said it at the beginning of this thing, but it's still in our heads. Like we've been so wounded by things that were said to us like when we were young and, and we've just carried them forever. Some of us, we believed them to be true. Others of us, we spent a lifetime like trying to prove those people wrong. But the truth is that these words have wounded us and they've shaped our entire lives. God, could you please show us what your grace and your mercy looks like and your healing looks like? Would you give us the right people to speak the right healing words into our lives? Could you help us to see a brand new definition of who we are? Because we're not what mom said, we're not what dad said, we're not what those other people said. We are what you say, and you say that we are sons and daughters of the living God. So God, please help us to, to watch our words and to wield the power of them wisely. And ultimately, I thank you for your words. Your words like, I love you, and I forgive you, and I'm not going anywhere, and you're not too far gone. So I love you, thank you for your words, and thank you for the word who put on flesh 2,000 years ago. It's in Jesus Christ's holy name that I pray, amen.